that, though, just have a couple things I want to talk about. One, next week is what we call Be the Church Day. Be the Church Day is a day where instead of having normal services, we go out into the community and we serve in projects. We've got about 12 different projects lined up that we're going to be serving at for two and a half hours. So we encourage you to come uh, at 10 a.m., Okay, if you show up at 11 a.m., there actually will still be some people here because we have one project here at the church we're going to do. Um, but uh, if you, the goal would be show up no later than 10 a.m. and come kind of ready to work, and we will send you out to the different projects in the community. We're working with the Children's Justice Center. We're working with some of the elementary schools. We're working with couple of uh, families that just really need some help. We're actually helping uh, one family in the church move um, that weekend. Um, and so just kind of a bunch of different things we're, we're doing and serving. So it's just kind of a fun thing that we do. Uh, we did start last year, and a lot of people asked if we could do it back, bring it back. We'll say this, though. If you have a specific thing that you would like to do, that's what all those tables are for out in the lobby out there as you walk out. All the projects are lined up out there. Sign up for one, and then that way you can make sure you get on the, the project that you would like to be a part of um, for next week. So that is next Sunday, 10 a.m. here for Be the Church Sunday. And then afterwards, we will come back here for a light lunch. Second thing is, as, uh, we're going to be participating in the parade this year. And I just want to invite Kyle up real quick. He's going to share with us. Kyle's kind of taking us on to oversee the parade. And uh, so anyway, let him share for a second. All right. Hey, guys, just real quick. Um, the parade is going to, it'll be August 5th, and I'll have all the details. But I just want to invite anyone that if you love Jesus, if you love sharing your faith and showing people this is a day to show everyone, hey, you know what? We love Jesus. We love our relationship with Christ. We love Mountain View, and we want to show you. I at least need 20 people to keep this going. If we can't get 20, I'll have to cancel all day before. So I'm hoping we can at least get 20 to walk with me, show everyone that we love Jesus and we love Mountain View. Any details, I'll leave my number for everyone up front. And uh, thank you. Okay, real quick though, it's August 5th? August 5th, it's at, at 4 o'clock. So they need to be there at 3.30? Yep, and it's going to be 600 West. Uh, it's going to start at the train, at the train center, or the, the train spot. It's going to finish on 300 West by the industrial building. Okay. If I'll have all the details, just message me or call me, and I'll leave my number, and we'll go We'll go over everything. All right. And we're going to handle Otter Pops. Okay. Cool. Very cool. We used to do the parade every year. Uh, when we started out, it's a great way to let people know about the church. There's usually, if you haven't been to the parade, you know, there's a few thousand people down there, and uh, it's just kind of a great way to let them know. And we'll also be advertising Vacation Bible School at that as well. So, <laughs> Those are the things happening. Finally, last thing, if you're, if you're interested in going in to Honduras, it's all supposed to be due this today um, as far as your applications and everything. However, you know, as we're going to talk about today, there are always loopholes. So, uh, you know, if you are really wanting to go to Honduras with us on our mission trip and you maybe this is the first year you've heard about it, make sure you find me right after church and I'll, we'll, we'll work with you to try to get it worked out. So with that, let's pray and we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for a beautiful day. I thank you for a day that we can come together to worship you, to learn from you, and to grow. I just pray that you open our hearts um, to your truth today. Help us to know how extravagant your love is for us, um, and help us to seek to respond to that love um, with the love of, uh, with our love towards you and others. We pray these things in your name. 
Amen. Amen. So we're going through the, the uh, parables of Luke. Uh, we have been for the last three weeks. And today we get to possibly the most famous story in the Bible. If, if not the most famous, probably definitely one of the most famous that Jesus actually told, one of the most famous fictional stories. Uh, I would say this definitely rate, rates up there. So this is just a story that Jesus told to illustrate a truth. Um, that's what a parable is. And so this one is a really, really familiar one. And I have found over time that there are people who love the familiar and people who get bored to tears with the familiar. Um, you know, so there are those people that they can watch the same movie over and over and over again. Um, you know, they can like memorize the lines, that kind of thing. Or they, when you go to a restaurant, you eat, you know, they order the same thing every time they go to that restaurant. Um, they go on vacation to the same place every time they go on vacation. Some people love the familiar, you know, that's just part of who, that's kind of their makeup of who they are. Um, and then there are people who really have a hard time with the familiar. Like they get bored really fast with the familiar. They never want to go on the same vacation twice. They always want to try new foods. They can't watch a movie more than once without getting bored with it. Uh, so, so just real quick, raise your hand if you would say, yeah, I'm more on the, I like the familiar. Anyone here that likes the familiar? Okay. Oh, not very many a few more adventurous out there. Okay. Now raise your hand if you're more the, I, I kind of like to, I like new things. I like to kind of keep moving all the time, that kind of thing. Okay. And then the rest of you, you just don't know who you are. So that's okay. Um, <clears throat> but uh, now I, I am one that I'm always moving. I like new. I, I hate going to the same vacation over and over again. I can't watch a movie more than once, maybe every 10 to 15 years. If it's like a favorite movie of mine, I can go back to it. But, but just to do stuff over and over again, it, it's really hard for me. So when I read a passage of the Bible that is really familiar to me, it's very, my, my mindset and what's kind of my jerk, knee-jerk reaction is to just kind of go, oh yeah, I know that. Right? I, uh, I, I know all that. Right? I'm just, I just know that so much. I, just, I, don't even, I don't even want to bother reading it. And when we're teaching on something familiar, it's easy to kind of get that mindset. So I'm with you. If you're someone who is like that, I get it. I understand. But here's the other thing I've learned over life. In my life, I've learned when I take the time to examine, analyze, and process the most familiar things in my life, that's actually when I grow the most. You know, when I take the time to analyze and process my daily habits, whether they be health habits or routines, I'm able to kind of look and go, you know what, is, am I making the right choices here? Am I really doing it? When I, I'm, I'm taking the time to examine things I do every day. When I take the time in my marriage of 28 years to examine and say, you know what, I know we've got these routines, but are these really the best routines for us? Is there, is there something more we could be doing or could we change something? My marriage grows. So I have found that when we, when we process the familiar, it's actually one of our most important times. I also often find that in our teaching, we keep coming back to some of these familiar topics and passages. And I think one of the reasons is one thing I have gathered and learned and understood as I grow as a Christ follower is that the reason we keep coming back to these is the reality is, is these are the things we need the greatest amount of growth in. We need to open ourselves up and constantly be reminded of our need for growth in these areas. So 
Today we study the passage of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is a story that probably everyone in here has heard at some level. Some of you know it up backwards, forwards. You, you could kind of come up here and almost quote this passage. You know it's so familiar. The one thing that came out of, to me, the very first thing that came out to me as I read this passage again, going through it again for the umpteenth time, um, is you're not going to gain anything out of what I'm going to share right now, but it was still, it just caught me, and it was kind of funny to me. It almost sounds like a joke when you think about it, right? Think about this. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan are walking down a road. Now, don't, doesn't that sound like I'm going to there's, there's going to be a punchline? But there's no punchline here, but I did have to title the message that way. All right, so let's look at uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and let's see what Jesus says in this story of the Good Samaritan. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you with any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So, let's look at the question for a minute. All right, we're going to break this up much like we did a couple weeks ago. We're just going to look at the question Jesus has asked his answer, the parable, and then how we can apply it. What's the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's the reality. The answer to that question, as we know now, is nothing. Right? You can't do anything. You can't earn eternal life. And yet, this teacher of the law is basically saying, what do I have to do? How do I know I'm in? What's my... What's my free pass? How do, how do I, what, give me the checklist, right? So he's kind of saying, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't answer the man. Instead, he allows him to answer the question himself, as Jesus often does. 
But that's an important thing. We, you have to remember, we can't do anything. If you have your own Bibles, I would encourage you to highlight that word do there to remind yourself that that's, that's not the question. What we must do is not the question. It's what we must receive and what we must accept, not what we can do, nothing, no action of ours. <clears throat> and yet, his answer is a pretty good answer, Right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He understood that the law, all of the law of the Old Testament, came down to this. This idea of love. That if we could learn to love, that's what it really comes down to. That all of that is written to to get that point across. However... Even though he understood that it was all about love, he still sought to justify himself, right? He seeks to justify himself with this question. And who is my neighbor, really? Right? Who are we really talking about here? Right? I don't know about you, but I can hear myself asking the exact same question. I think this guy gets a bad rap. I really do. We, you know, we, I, anytime I've heard this preached, you know, it's like, and he wanted to justify himself. You know, it's like, like what a horrible person for wanting to justify himself because none of us have ever wanted to justify ourselves, right? None of us, right? We're always just doing the right thing all the time, always looking out for others as best we can. No, he wants to justify himself just like you and I do all the time. We want to give an excuse for our behavior. We want to choose to live how we choose and, and then figure out how to get around it. We are kings looking at, for loopholes, aren't we? Right? We love to find loopholes. If, you, if you've never, if you don't feel like, oh, I don't, know, I don't really know if I've experienced that, think about your kids, okay? Especially if you have siblings, okay? Here's where I see my, I've always, my son was a master, at finding loopholes, right? He was, a, he was great at going, at saying, well, you never really said this, you know? He, he was always, like, looking for those, those ways out, out. But I remember specifically, it, one, I can't remember which one of the girls, but they were, um, they were, they were two, both the older girls were fighting when they were, you know, seven years old or so. And, and one of them said, one of them called the other one butthead, Right? And I told her, so I, I told her, you don't talk to your sister like that. You don't call her that word. And then five minutes later, she comes back crying again, and she says, she called me butt face. So I go down to my, I go down, <laughs> and I said, I told you not to talk to her like that. And she said, you said not to call her butt head. She literally, <laughs> so, so she, she was looking for a way to get out of, of getting in trouble. She still got in trouble um, for, for, for not following the rules. She thought, well, that's not exactly what you said, Dad, right? I mean, like, you actually were saying this, but this is a totally different situation here, right? But we do that. We're looking for loopholes in life. Now, here's one thing I want us to understand. It's easy to read a story like this and start to feel guilty because we feel like, man, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't love the way I know I'm supposed to love. First of all, we're going to talk about that's not the point of the story. But there's a difference in our relationship with God. When we, when we fail to live as God calls us to live, we fail to love as he calls us to love, we fail to, to live out the life he calls us to, 
There's a difference between failing like that, but being repentant, convicted, and seeking to do it. Right? It's one, it's, when, I, when I fail and I'm repentant and I'm convicted and I'm, and I'm constantly seeking God to help me learn and grow in that area, there, that's a difference than someone who says, well, you know what? I know what God says, but I'm just going to see if I can get around it. Or I, I'm not gonna, that's too hard, so I'm just going to do this. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference in our heart. See, my daughter wasn't, her heart was not convicted when I told her not to use that word, right? Her heart wasn't convicted about this condition of her heart. Instead, she thought, okay, I'm just going to figure out a way to get around what dad said, right? And I'll do, do, do my own thing. Same thing goes with us sometimes as Christ followers. If, if we're not convicted, then, then that's, where we're, that's where we're wrong. But when we're convicted, God knows we fail. He knows we, we are constantly striving, and, and we, yet we won't achieve that until we're completely with him in heaven. So that's the one thing. We, want, we need to understand that there's a difference. I, I think about my own life, and <clears throat> there's, there's a big difference between when I'm trying to get in shape and, and I'm convicted that I need to be in shape, I'm convicted that I'm, I need to eat well and that kind of thing, and I fail, and when, versus when I'm just like, ah, whatever. I'm just going to do whatever I want, eat whatever I want, not exercise. I, I don't care about it. You know, there's a difference when, when I am thinking about, man, the choices I make with eating and the choices I'm making with exercise. I might not grow the way I would love to grow. I would love to grow quicker than I'm growing, but guess what? I am growing. I, actually, I'm not growing. I'm shrinking. Um, so, to, but, but I'm changing, Right? I'm, I'm changing and things are, things are happening. But when I just want to justify whatever I do, then I don't change. Then I just stay right where I'm at. So there's a big difference there. And it, it, the, in our relationship with our Lord, I think so often we have to be careful because it's easy to fall into this area over here where we're just justifying what we do. And we're not seeking to grow. And the reality is, is we can look around us and we can point at others and we can look at the things we're doing and say, yeah, I'm doing all right. And we don't grow versus when we're convicted and we're constantly seeking him. So he asks, and who is my neighbor? Here's another thing, and this is something I just can't thought of this time as in studying this. All the times I've studied this, I'd never thought about this. Notice Jesus said what? He said, or the answer was this. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul, our soul and strength, and to love our neighbor as yourself. And yet all he asks about is who is my neighbor? He doesn't ask, well, what does it mean to really truly love the Lord with all of my being? He never even asked that. Does he think that he's got that part down? I mean, imagine the the kind of view you have to have to think that you've got that part down. You have to have a pretty high view of yourself and a pretty low view of God. If you feel like, yeah, you know, I've got the whole loving God thing down, but just tell me what it means to love these people because they're annoying, right? That's, but, but that's the kind of mindset he, he may have here that's definitely the, the, what comes across. Now, like I said, as we jump into the story now, this is a familiar story. 
It's so familiar that, I mean, hospitals, organizations, national, international organizations and ministries have been named Samaritans, you know, all the different kinds of the Good Samaritan Hospital, all these different kinds of things. But I think sometimes when we look at that, it kind of gets the idea across that this story is all about being a doer of good deeds. But the reality is if that's all that we're getting from the story, then we completely misunderstand the true message of Jesus. Not just the message even from this story, but the message of his whole purpose and his whole life. See, I, I believe more importantly that this, this story illustrates that God's love is sacrificial and it's extravagant and that we will never do enough to earn eternal life. We will never do enough to earn salvation. But rather, we need to accept the love that he gives. And then through that, we do need to respond by seeking to love our neighbors. So, <clears throat> let's go ahead and read. Let's look at verse 30 and just kind of reread the parable a little bit. It says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. When he, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hand of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So let's look at these three people. The first is the priest. Now, it, to give a little background, the priest was a descendant of the descendants of Aaron. They were the priests. And they were charged with overseeing the sacrifices and the maintenance of, of the temple. Now, in that charge, they were not allowed, they were not permitted to have contact with the dead. Now, I've heard people seek to justify what the priest and the Levite did by saying, well, because they weren't allowed to have contact with the dead, this man may have appeared dead, and so they didn't want to risk being able to, to fulfill their duties, so they went around the man. Here's my only thought on that. None of these people are real. They're fictional. So we can't put into the heads what and why they were doing that. If, if that's what Jesus wanted us to, get a, to think, he probably would have told us that. What I would say for both the, the priest and the Elite is at the very least, if we're looking for a mindset of what Jesus was trying to do there, at the very least, what he was probably doing was showing that these, this priest and this Levite were lost. Not necessarily that they were bad people, but that they were lost. Because if the whole law is summed up in love, they didn't understand that, yes, there's these laws, but I, more than the letter of the law, I should be acting in love. And so, the, he, so very possible he was trying to show that they didn't understand that the highest priority of the law was love. And that, so as a result, they went around and missed the opportunity to show God's love. 
Same, same with the Levite. He was the same. They also had the same rules. See, I think Jesus' point was to show that two people who were revered and held in very high esteem due to their heritage, their position, their duties, their titles, that he was showing that they were not loving their neighbor. That even though they were held in such a high esteem, even they were not able to love as completely and sacrificially as God calls us to. And then he gets to the Samaritan. And he points to the Samaritan as the good guy, if you will, in the story. And here's something we have to understand about Samaritans. And once again, if you're familiar with this story, you, you know this probably pretty clearly. But most Jews would have considered any other Jew to be their neighbor. Now, Pharisees didn't. Pharisees looked down on certain Jews and even wouldn't consider them to be their neighbor. But the average Jew would have thought, any other Jewish person in need is my neighbor. But they definitely wouldn't have thought that about a Pharisee. They would have never looked at, I mean, I'm sorry, about a Samaritan. They would have never looked at a Samaritan as their neighbor. They despised Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. So think about this for a second. Put yourself in this guy's shoes. Put, imagine that you're hearing this story for the very first time. And imagine yourself asking, who's my neighbor? Now, I don't know about you, but when I do that and I imagine myself saying, okay, but who's my neighbor? As soon as I say that, I have certain people coming into my head that I'm going, please don't say them. Please don't say them. Right? My guess is, this, this teacher of the law had people in mind. He's saying, oh, don't, I know he's not going to say that. He can't include them. He can't include them. Chances are the entire audience that he had there. You know, everyone's engaged in listening. They're probably all going, okay, who would I say? Really? My, that aunt? You, okay, 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 her too. You know, I mean, they all, they all had these people. <coughs> They even hated Samaritans, though, to the point where they hated the entire people group. The entire people group. They want, you want me to love them? You want me to care about them? Yeah, they hated Samaritans so much that a good Jew would go three days around Samaria so that they didn't have to cross through in what would have taken about three quarters of a day. It would take three days to walk around just so they didn't have to get the dirt from Samaria on their shoes. They didn't have to be around Samaritans. That's how much they hated these Samaritans. And, and now, not only, Jesus doesn't make the Samaritan the person that, that was beaten and needed care. He actually makes the Samaritan the person that cares for what was probably a Jew. So imagine just how how twisted this is for, for the, this people and their thinking. It's, it's totally turning upside down every, every class system they've got, every racist thought they have, every judgment that they have. You know, I think chances are, I was trying to think about this story in today's context. If Jesus was just in America teaching this story to Christians, the only people I could think of that he might choose is Muslims. 
He might illustrate this story with Muslims because the reality is, is there are a lot of Christians that just hate Muslims as a people group. Or they might not fully hate, but they, would, they definitely would have prejudices that would, would keep them apart. And Jesus is saying that, no, we need to love everyone. Every person we need to love. Samaritan did these acts of love. He loved in the way that the Jews, the Jewish people in the illustration were not able to. He showed what extravagant love looks like. He loved this man on the side of the road with no thought of repayment. See, when this man had nothing to offer, when this man was broken, when this man had probably been someone who had, had caused division between the Samaritan and, and this people group, when he'd done all those things, the Samaritan loved him and the Samaritan sacrificed for him. Does that sound like anyone? Right? That's what Jesus does. Jesus loves us like that. When we have nothing to offer, when we're useless, when we, we can do nothing to repay, Jesus loves us like that. And so Jesus is more concerned with answering what it looks like to be a neighbor than he is with answering who is your neighbor. See, the who is your neighbor is obvious, isn't it? I mean, we all know, if we see someone in need, we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to reach out to them. We're, we're called to love someone who's in need. But he goes into detail showing what that love actually looks like. What does it actually look like to love? Right? He, I mean, he goes, that's pretty much where most of the detail of the story is, right? He talks about him taking action. Right? There's, there's action involved in doing things. He talks about him taking his time, giving of his resources, being inconvenienced, sacrificing. You see, Jesus is saying that's what it looks like to love someone. <clears throat> and I think we need to remember that. I think in our society, we forget that that's what it looks like to love, that it looks sacrificial to love, that love is actions. See, we live in a society that we watch movies, we read books, we watch social media, and we see these things that happen. We see injustices, or we see someone get treated badly, or we see something sweet, and we, get, and we give an emotional response, right? We, we think, oh, or we feel bad, or, or whatever that is. And we think, I'm a loving person. Because I had a good emotional response to something I saw. But we don't do anything. See, that doesn't make you a loving person. It makes you better than Hitler, basically is what that makes. The average person has emotional responses to, to, to something. The difference in what Jesus is telling us is that we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to give acts of love. We're supposed to sacrifice. We're supposed to take time. And you know, it's, it's interesting. It can come out in really small ways. I actually just had a really small way yesterday. Uh, my wife and family were all going, were, like I said, we're going on vacation. They all left 
yesterday. So yesterday was my day to, I'm going to get a bunch of things done um, that I need to do to get us ready to go, uh, to get me ready to go. And then I'm, I'm also going to get out and go ride my motorcycle for like three hours and have some fun, right? So I decided I'm going to do that. And our neighbor next door uh, lost her husband about two months ago. And she was out in the front lawn. And the normal Shane would have done the hi, how are you, hope you're doing well, and done a one-minute conversation to make myself feel better. Right? That I, well, I, I reached out. I said, you know, I had things I really wanted to do. But you know what? She doesn't come out very often, and she was out, and she wanted to talk. So I just simply took the time to talk with her for 30, 40 minutes and let her share how things are going and talk about her dogs and, and just talk about her process. Now, that's not a huge act, but the reality is, is it's not what I would have done normally. What I would have done is felt a little sad for her, maybe spent a minute with her, and justified and said, I'm fine. So a very familiar story that I had the advantage of reading last week and spending time in convicted me that Shane, no, you need to actually spend some time right now. You need to be inconvenienced. Your motorcycle ride is not that important. You getting ready to go is not that important. She needs some time. See, it doesn't have to be a huge thing every time, but it, do, it is a matter of really looking and saying, what, have I, what am I actually doing? It doesn't help my neighbor that I feel sad for her. It doesn't help my neighbor that, that I honestly, you know, other than what, obviously there's supernatural things that God does when I pray for her. But honestly, when, when I pray for her, even then, what is God telling me? Yeah, I want to help her. That's why I put you next door to her. Right? So get over there and help her. See, we're called to do. That's what love is. It's not just a feeling. And I, I, I fear that we've moved into the society that we're such observers. We observe all day long. You just watch. The, and we just stand back and we observe and we get emotional feelings for people. And we think, well, I love. I'm a loving person because I have all these emotions. You want to love someone, we've got to get out and we've got to act. We've got to do. That's what shows love. So Jesus says, which one of these three showed the love? And I have to say, I still, <laughs> you got to, I, it's easy to identify with the lawyer at the beginning of the story with this desire to justify but it takes a lot to admit that maybe you still identify with him at the end of the story. Notice his answer. He still couldn't say the Samaritan. Couldn't say that the Samaritan was loving. He couldn't say that the Samaritan was the good neighbor. He had to say the one who showed mercy. And I think... You know, if Jesus was standing in front of me with that story, is there anyone that I harbor so much against that I would not, that I still would be trying to say, Jesus, you can't, you really mean them? And the reality is, the sadness is, I do think there are people that harbor that much bitterness, that harbor that much hatred towards people. And if we harbor that, 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 is going, that will tear us apart. 
that will keep us from ever experiencing the promises that God has for us. The, the love that God has for us. We will never understand the full abundance of life that God has if we harbor that kind of hatred, that kind of bitterness towards someone. So how do we apply it? Well, we do what Jesus said. Go and do likewise. Notice Jesus never still, he still never answers the man question, man's question. Instead, he shows what it looks like to be a good neighbor to someone. Now here's the thing. Both of the, both of the commands, love the Lord with the, your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the command of love your neighbor as yourself, both of these are very clear commands. They're easy to understand. And yet as easy as they are to understand, they're as equally as hard to live out, aren't they? In fact, they're impossible. They're impossible to live out. You cannot live those out fully on this earth. Why? Well, I'll go back to the man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows you can't even do that. You can't even love him as fully as he loves you. You can't ever love others as fully as he love other, loves others. That's not what we're able to do. We, you see, when it comes to what we must do to inherit eternal life, there is absolutely nothing. This story is not meant to be a guilt trip about how bad we are at loving. It's to answer the lawyer's question. If you're sitting here thinking, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, okay, you want to do? You still want to earn? Okay, love the way I love. Try that. See how it goes. We can't. We can't love as he loves. But what does that mean for us? <clears throat> well, it means two things. The first is this, that we simply accept the love that he has given us. That we accept that he loves us that much. And, that, and through that, we seek to respond in love. We seek to respond in love. You're not going to earn it. He just wants you to accept it and then respond. But then secondly, we don't walk away because it's too hard. We don't justify our behaviors because it's too hard, because we know we're never going to fully live it up to it. No, we embrace it. We embrace the challenge to live as Christ calls us to live. We embrace the challenge to give all, to love all. See, at Mountain View Fellowship, we know we're never going to fully realize that. And yet we know that that is what we're called to. And so we embrace it. And we step into it. And we, we repent when we're falling short. And we continue stepping forward seeking it. Je Jesus offers us an abundant life. And that life comes through loving him and loving others extravagantly. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for your love for us, your extravagant love for us. I thank you that, God, when we fall so short, you are always there. I thank you that there's nothing we can do that you have bridged the gap. And all we have to do is accept that. Accept that there's nothing we can do. Accept that our love, our own personal love is never going to be enough. 
that we're never going to be able to love you fully. There's always going to be things that get in the way. We're never going to love others as sacrificially as you love. But that through accepting that, that we might understand how great and how beautiful, how rich and how extravagant your love is for us. And we might respond in love. Praise